The views and opinions expressed by the guests on the following program do not necessarily represent those of Mark Radio, The Shepherd, or its advertisers. From the studios of The Shepherd Radio Network, it's Afternoons with Mike. This next hour is all about our walk with Jesus with local pastors, newsmakers, people who are making a difference for the gospel. Now, here is your host, Mike Gilland. Hey friends, and welcome to another program, Afternoons with Mike, heard daily on the Shepherd Radio Network. From Orlando to Ocala and the villages on up to Gainesville, we welcome you to the program today. On the line with me, a new friend, somebody that has been uh, introduced to me by a member of our organization. His This guy's name is Kurt Hale, and Kurt is from the uh, Dallas area in that part of Texas, uh, that's always great to talk to uh, a Texan because I have a great love for it with my son living there and all. Kurt Hale, welcome to my program. Mike, it's so good to be here. Thanks for having me. I love I love being a Texan. I've lived here eight years now and uh, I've, I've gotten quite fond of this place. Well, I can see why, you know, everybody that's moving to Florida, the word we hear, there's only two destinations right now in the country that people are really aiming for, and it's Florida and Texas. So if you're in one of those two states, uh, you've got something going for you, man. <laughs> it's without a doubt. <laughs> I, that's right. I, well, a lot of people are moving to Texas, so I can I can uh, affirm that. We got a lot of people coming in. Well, you know, you're going to um, be talking about what you do with your life. And uh, we live in a day and age. Uh, a lot of the reason, honestly, why people are making the move to our two states, it's because they don't feel safe often in uh, other parts of the country. And, and that, you know, even as I say that, Kurt, doesn't that make your heart sad to hear what's going on and knowing the kind of the general state of our nation right now? It's not in the greatest place. It really does, Mike, and I, it doesn't take long to search the news and hear uh, the state of, 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 of threat that's happening around our country in several areas, um, uh, including the one that I concentrate in. And what you concentrate in is children's safety. In fact, you're a specialist, and you help not only families, but you help churches, uh, all different size, small, large, multi-site campuses. Uh, this whole thing has come to light in recent years, uh, but the safety that each church needs to give its members and the most vulnerable, obviously the kids, uh, it, it just can't be overstated how important that is, right? You're exactly right. Yeah. So what I do is I help churches uh, build child abuse prevention systems from the ground up. And uh, some of my clients have some safety practices that they have already have in place, and I help them get better. Mm-hmm. And then other clients that I have, uh, we're starting from scratch. And, uh, and so I, I absolutely love helping great leaders build safe spaces. And I get to talk to great leaders all over the country, uh, church leaders who care deeply about sharing the love of Christ in a, in a pure and holy way and uh, extending that to the most vulnerable among us, the, our children. And so it's such an honor to get to, to, to work with these churches and, and help them big, build safety practices. That's what I do, and I love it. Well, it's much needed, and I know appreciated by pastors. And wouldn't you agree with this, that in recent years, pastors in particular, churches, have become painfully aware of just how important it is for them to get on board here with this whole thing because of just the, the amount of predators that seem to be increasing. And those predators, uh, they have not minded at all taking advantage of churches that were not all that ready, not all that prepared, perhaps a little bit even unprepared when it comes down to the threats that were among them. And you, before you know it, it can be too late, right? I think painful is a great word, Mike. And, um, you know, it's, it's interesting. I think as a culture, we have learned to call certain things crimes that we, not, we didn't used to call crimes. And so um, I don't know that predators are, are, are any more active than they used to be. We're just, we just know now um, that uh, we need to be um, actively uh, working against uh, their their purposes and their their destructive uh, means 
Uh, and so, um, yeah, you know, it, you're exactly right. When you look at the news, uh, it's in every denomination. Started most of the news started with the Catholic Church, right? Right. Uh, but the, the church that I'm that I the, the denomination that I'm in, the Southern Baptist, that we uh, we've had a lot of news lately too. And so, um, there's a much greater awareness now uh, of what what we need to do and what in and, and uh, the steps that we should be taking. Um, and so, yeah, I, I say that all the time. The, the news has helped in my case a lot. I, I, uh, when I first got into this work, I thought I was going to have to do a lot of convincing, and I don't have to really. It's uh, people are coming to me knowing that there's issues that they need to be working against. Yeah, we you can't hardly get away from these issues because of the fact that they are they're they're impacting so many different churches on so many different levels uh it's not just churches w- w- the news of recent years with sex trafficking and i agree with you when you say that it's probably been around a lot longer than what people realize it but because of social media because of heightened cases i think of uh the very sad story i i think his name was nadler that was convicted and uh, the, the whole Olympic thing uh, where these young right. people who are vulnerable and in the care of people that should be trustworthy and, and really are just the kind of access that they have to young people puts them at a need to have great, uh, I just, great character. But sadly, a lot of people are have put in for many, many decades, people without that kind of character and put them near and maybe even within children's ministries and disastrous results. But this, uh, this generation, we're hearing more about it. It's in the news much more than it ever was before. And it, it just seems to be growing. I'm not, I agree with you, though. I'm, I'm not sure it's growing as much as our awareness is growing. There's a great term that we use in child safety, uh, child prevention circles. Mike, I'm a teacher. It's called passing the trash. And uh, whereas in the old days, if, uh, if there was an accusation that was founded and, uh, and against somebody like a pastor or a youth leader or, or a Sunday school teacher, or a deacon or somebody like that, um, churches would uh, simply fire that person or, or uh, mo- that person would move on to another church instead of um, what should be happening, which is proper reporting, prosecution, things like that. And so because of that, uh, people would move from church to church to church, um, offending over and over and over again. And so well, I think one of the things we're learning, back to your point, is uh, we we realize now that we need to be taking these proper steps. We need to have these this this these reporting plans in place, these policy plans in place, so that um, we can stop offenders rather than simply pass the trash on to the next church. Ooh, that's a, a powerful metaphor, and it really is sad when you think about how many people have jumped from one place to the next. And it, it, there was a day when that could happen. And I'm, if nothing else good that we can find in the news, at least there's so much awareness about it right now that it would appear that it, that part of it, this whole sad story, is harder than it used to be. It's harder to not yeah. get, you know, you're going to get caught. Uh, that's what I'm praying. And uh, I pray that the, the, this passing the trash thing does not happen. Now, we're going to talk of, about this important issue uh, in your company, which is Shelter and Shield. And again, yeah. Kurt Hale, if you've just tuned in, he is a, a specialist, a safety specialist with this organization, working with churches of all sizes and uh, of all denominations, because there's not any one particular group of people that need this word more than the next. We all need to be careful. Every believer in every church needs to have something in order, uh, something in place to catch these kinds of events. And I don't think it's too strong to say it would be foolish to stick our head in the sand and act like, well, that couldn't happen to us because it could, right? Yeah. I agree, Mike. And, um, you know, every uh, every groomer, every predator needs three things to offend a child. They need access, privacy and control. And so um, they're going to they're going to go to the place where they have the easiest access to minors if they're looking to harm a minor. 
And uh, a lot of times that's going to be the church with no plan in place. And so I think you're right. A lot of churches are working on this now. I'm so thankful. I've got, uh, again, great clients all over the country who are taking this issue very, very seriously. But there's still a lot of work to do left. A lot of, uh, of, of churches of different size who think it can never happen here. Um, and that's exactly uh, where the offenders are going to try to find because they're going to try to find the easiest route to access the minors they want to harm. Boy, it's really crazy when uh, when you get down in, and I want to get more in the weeds on that in the second segment today. Before we do that, Great. give us a, a little bit about your own background. How did you come to know the Lord? Oh, thanks for asking that, Mike. I grew up in the church. In fact, my granddaddy was the pastor of my church growing up and the, uh, the questions in Sunday school, and I um, was in the youth choir, even though I hated it. I'm just going to be real. I hated the youth choir. But I was always in it, uh, but I didn't. I never made a real decision to become a follower of Jesus because I didn't really um, put in the effort to understand what that really meant. So I went to school, Mike. I went to a, a little school in Mississippi called William Carey. It was William Carey College at mm-hmm. the time. Now it's William Carey University. And they had a program way back when it called Survival Weekend. If you wanted to move in early, you could come in a few days early and go to a, a Christian retreat that they put on called Survival Weekend. And so I wanted to move in early. I was excited about college, so I went. And I'm going to tell you something, Mike. For the first time, I, and it, I really noticed people my age around me who were legitimately choosing to follow Jesus for themselves. It had nothing to do with their home life. It had nothing to do with their families. It was their choice to follow Jesus and to be serious about their walk. They weren't perfect, mm-hmm. but they, um, they, I just watched them in small group environments, speaking uh, personally, per- personally about their relationship with Jesus and watching them worship in, in, in worship environments. And I tell you, it, was, it wasn't anything a speaker said. It wasn't anything that we read in the word that weekend, it was seeing people my age sold out for Jesus alone in my dorm room on that weekend. I became a follower of Jesus. I said, I, I have been a fraud. I told Jesus I'm a fraud. I have not um, chosen to follow Jesus myself. Um, and uh, I want to put all my chips in and follow you. And so I uh, was discipled in college by that same group of, of young people. And, um, Again, they weren't perfect, but they they just showed me what it meant to follow Jesus legitimately. And I got a little bit of taste of ministry along the way, doing um, doing Disciple Nows and working in churches uh, in the Mississippi area. And uh, that started my life of faith, is, uh, is, was that survival weekend in 1995. Wow. You know, you think about one weekend and the impact that a single weekend and in a group of people in that one, what, 48 hour or so span of time that it will have lifelong implications in your, in your whole being. And that's exactly what happened. Your life was different. And, you know, I think that says a whole lot, doesn't it? About the importance that all of us have on our own individual choices and our own individual convictions. I, I think it's easy for young people like what you were at the time to think, well, what I think or what I say, it, it really is not that important to other people, but that's just not true. The, our actions, our words, the encouragements that we can give, it can really go a long way in helping somebody like what you were in that moment, make the a legitimate change and a, a directional difference in your life. I think you're right. And, I, and I, I'm thinking about authenticity too, Mike. I'm thinking about the fact that those, those friends of mine, those brand new friends, um, they're, they had no intention of uh, meeting me and putting on uh, a Christian version of themselves to sell me mm. uh, into becoming a follower of Jesus. They just lived their life and it's who they were. And that was attractive enough to make me realize, first, that what I had was not real, and secondly, that I wanted what they had. Yeah. Now, you mentioned something. I want to, I want to dig a little bit in that because I was really 
uh, I, I was really affected by the fact that you called yourself a fraud. And a lot of people mm. could hear that and they think, wow, that's pretty strong. But in a real sense, that is the, a, a great word. It describes exactly those of us that are trying to paint a, a picture with our lives as opposed to being real and, and having authenticity in our lives. Often people put up that front and there is a sense of fraudulent living that any of us have the capability of doing if we're not honest about our hearts to the Lord and if we're not honest with each other, right? Absolutely. I, you know what I think? I think I was, I was actually cowardly um, because, again, I had incredible uh, Christian family, uh, a great leader in my life who is still my spiritual hero, my grandfather. Dr. James Monroe, if you're wondering. Wow. Um, There's a name. I, I knew. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There. Uh, but, there, but I knew. I knew exactly what uh, the word was calling, the type of surrender, the type of abandonment to my own life and surrender to, to following Jesus. I knew, but I didn't uh, have the strength or the, or the willingness, let's call it what it is, to fully surrender. Until I saw it with my own eyes, uh, yeah. with people my own age, and uh, and so I wish I was a strong. I had stronger character and I had stronger resolve. Um, I called what what I I called my version of Christianity, being a follower of Jesus before college, but it wasn't. It was it was fraudulent, just like you said. Yeah, yeah. You know, a guy one time, a friend of mine once told me something, I've never forgotten it. When we look back on our life and we see those things that we'd like to change, we have to realize that, well, those things that came about, that was just a gift of God to us in that moment, because all of us up until that time, we were probably living the best way we felt we could or knew we could. And maybe there was this sense of gnawing in our hearts that something wasn't right, something needed to be changed. But, you know, we have to realize that God gives us the grace. And that's what happened to you on that particular weekend. The grace of God just opened you up. You saw it. All of the things were right. And he put all of those things into place. And his call hit your life. It was effective. It was effectual, as the theologians would say. And, and you were able then to jump on the wagon and say, hey, I'm going to be real. This because Jesus yeah. is real. It's such a comfort that not one ounce of my salvation is based on my work. Yes. Right. God yeah. called me. God pulled me forward. God gave me the desire. And uh, ultimately, through Jesus, God gave me the incredible gift of grace and mercy and eternal life and the dwelling of the Holy Spirit and all of those things. It's all Him. It's it is. Nothing, it's nothing in me. It's yeah. all Him. It's all grace, and that's why I, I wanted to emphasize that as we close this segment out because of the fact if I've got somebody listening to us right now and you're wondering, you know, I've done too much, I've, I've been too bad, I've made too many wrong decisions, and that's just really not the case at all. It's, uh, in fact, you're just right there, right ready with what God has for you. So it's time to just get real and say, Lord, forgive me for those things, and let's move into what your plan is, and let that be the discovery, just like it was for you. And you found that it was the real deal. And all these years later, Kurt, it stuck, my man. Kurt Hale is with me. We're going to be back in a moment after this break, and we're going to be talking more about what Kurt does to help the church, to help families and to help kids. Don't go away. This is Afternoons with Mike. You're on The Shepherd. Pastors and financial leaders, do you need expert accounting or tax help? Do you have payroll or 1099 questions? Do you need a ministry expert to help you acquire real estate for your next project? If the answer is yes, yes, and yes, visit PetraWorldwide.org. Petra Worldwide has been strengthening ministries to transform humanity since 2007. Visit PetraWorldwide.org or call 855-481-9095. Palm Beach Atlantic University Orlando offers three distinct areas of study. An evening Master's of Science in Clinical Mental Health Counseling, an evening Bachelor's of Science in Human Services, and our new Daytime Bachelor's of Science in Nursing. 
All of our courses are offered at our beautiful campus on Millennia Boulevard. For more information or to schedule a tour, call 844-PBA-ORLANDO. That's 844-PBA-ORLANDO. Kurt Hale is my guest today on the show. Kurt is from Texas. He lives in the Arlington area, home of the Texas Rangers, I might add. And uh, my son went to watch the Cardinals beat up on your Texas Rangers by one run (laughs) just this week. So uh, I hate to rub that in, Kurt, but that is the way it is. (laughs) Hey, the Rangers are good this year. uh, Ooh, they are. We'll get them back. You know, uh, the Rangers, uh, my son living out there, uh, he roots for the Rangers until the cards come to town. Uh, But then, uh, you know, we have been Cardinal fans David's been a Cardinal fan his entire life. So this is something that it was, t- he had all three of his boys out there with him and it was really a great time. They, ha- they love it. And that stadium I hear, I've not been in the new one yet, uh, but uh, the old one was great, but the new one I hear is fantastic. It's a great place to watch a game. It's uh it's uh it's, it looks like a giant warehouse outside, but when you go inside, it's nice to watch in air conditioning. Arlington, <laughs> Texas, let me tell you, it's, uh, we right. like we like watching in air conditioning. I think a lot of people, you know, they think of Florida as being the hot one, but in my mind, I don't know that there's any one week in Florida in the summertime that can rival some of the weeks that you guys have out there because you. You go in up to 107, 108, 109 degrees, and you've got as much humidity as we have. So, man, I yeah, I think you guys get the award for the heat, dude. It's rough. Now, I, I haven't told you this yet, but I grew up in Florida in the Panhandle, Fort Walton Beach. And uh, the, well, it's funny. So I moved from Florida to Mississippi and now to Texas. Every single place I've lived has been hot. Oh, yeah. It's a different kind of hot. Um, that, you know, you I lived with that cool breeze coming off the water in the Panhandle, in Mississippi. It was just sticky and hot. It was uh, it was very humid. Here it's windy, but it feels like a hair dryer when it gets really hot. It just feels <laughs> like you're just getting blasted in the face with it with a hair dryer. But, that's well said. Uh, thankfully, that's not a that is not an issue in the new park. Yeah, that's right because you can sit there, like you said, in that air condition, and there's nothing like eating a ballpark hot dog. I'll. Put that up against any steak anywhere. It sounds, <laughs> even right in this moment, I'm hungry for it, man. Well, Kurt that's is... Good a, that's good living right there. Kurt is a specialist. Kurt Hale, my guest today, a safety specialist with the company Shelter and Shield. And they do this most important work of drawing attention to and training congregations and that includes everybody from the leadership of the church into every individual member on how and why we need to have our eyes wide open on this most important thing. Kids are part of our churches, and so often it is really, again, painfully sad to realize how many stories of regret and remorse Pastors who wish they'd been more careful or wish they had brought in more training or maybe been more aware. But then when you, you know, all it takes is to get on the other side of a a really terrible incident where there's been a child molested, where there's been a group of kids whose lives have now been scarred by some, some person who really has just, really just, he just preyed upon them. He just just selfishly took advantage of young people. And it's it's just the fact of life. There is a lot of people out there who are doing that. And we have to arm ourselves with knowledge. And I can get myself a little worked up here when I think about it, because I'm a dad of four. And mm-hmm. I think about what, you know, what my thought would have been for anyone that would have harmed one of my little ones. And sadly... This happens not in some strange place. It happens not in some back alley in some dark city. No, it's happening often in our own church buildings. We got to be ready for that, right? That's right. And I, I'm, I'm actually glad you get worked up about it, Mike, because I do too. And I'll tell you, you know, you think about it this way. Um, the, the church is the hope of the world, right? right? It is the bride of, we are the bride of Christ collectively together and uh this this uh, abuse that happens um sadly it, it's uh sexual abuse physical abuse emotional abuse 
Um, a lot of times it's there's some neglect involved, but there's also spiritual abuse and um, the spiritual ramification of of abuse in church is eternal mm-hmm. and um, turns people off not only to the church but to uh, faith itself, and uh, we just can't stand for it. And uh, it's a you know it, it gets real personal when you start to think about your kids. I have four of my own, and um, we as a we as a body of believers are tasked to love people with the love of Jesus. And uh, when that fails, um, it has eternal significance. Eternal significance. It does. It does, and it's just painful to hear these stories. And, you know, a number of years ago at the Passion Events, uh, they started talking about and bringing this kind of the word to the church about sex trafficking, human trafficking. I think a lot of people had not heard those terms. They would have heard abuse. They would have heard molestation in the past. But now this whole idea, this concept of trafficking, uh, in the beginning, that that sounded a little odd because we had only reserved that word for someone that sells drugs or is in, uh, you know, some other illegal contraband. But to think that people uh, basically make humans their slaves like they do, human slavery, we thought that was all over with, right? And we're finding out that it's very much alive today. And it's like you said during the break, as much as we want to think we've grown and that we've prepared ourselves, the sad news is this is this stuff is still going on, and it's it could happen this very Sunday in your church to the listeners who are hearing this. It could happen in your church, and again, we cannot shut our eyes to that reality and to that fact, right? That's right. We live in a broken world, and uh, Jesus is going to make it right. Uh, uh, well, one day, and uh, we will celebrate and look forward to that day. Pray for it to come. But in the meantime, we're going to do everything we can to make sure we love people with the love of Jesus when they step in the, in the in the walls of our church family. I believe that, and I think that's so important for every church, every pastor to hear. And I think it's important. Uh, let's get into some of the details now about when you're doing Great. the training. And when you are, uh, let's say, up in front of a group of people in a church who work in children's ministry, that's number one. Uh, the number one line of defense would be all of our workers. First of all, they we, we all need to know each other. We all need to know something about each other. And we all need to be able to trust one another. And, you know, Kurt, it seems like that's easier said than done, right? That's a great point. You know, when I do trainings, Mike, I, I give everybody permission to um, to to watch out for each other because, you know, a big part of abuse prevention is uh, false allegations as well. We want to make sure that we're protecting leaders and we're protecting staff from getting in, into compromised positions where um, you're not able to defend yourself against an allegation that may come your way. In fact, um, years ago, I, I was a family pastor, um, still a family pastor, but um, there, I had a, a person, I had a, a false allegation brought up against one of my my children's workers, uh, and I had to suspend that person for a time. Uh, but thankfully, 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 uh, because that worker knew the policies and conducted herself exactly like she was supposed to, and stayed in clear eyeline and eyesight of other people at all times. She was very easy to reinstate and, and get her going again in mm. clear. And so, um, you know, that's a, that's a part we can't miss. And so, yeah, when I do trainings, I say, hey, let's give each other the permission to point out boundary violations uh, when we step outside the boundaries that we've agreed together to stay within. Let's point them out to each other because – Nine times out of ten, it, nine times out of ten, it'll be accidental. It'll be something that, hey, you can look over at somebody in a five-year-old Sunday school classroom and say, hey, you remember we decided together that at this age we're not going to do lap sitting anymore. And that person says, oh, thank you for reminding me. I just forgot. Yeah. Um, and we can keep moving forward and stay within the boundaries together. Not, not like we're creating a police state where we're watching each other, but we're just helping each other 
um, stay within the, the boundaries that we agreed upon so that we all stay safe. That is so important because, like you said, even if the, the worker who is innocent has momentarily forgotten, if there is present somebody that's watching that that is a perp, they are the, the person that's, that's aiming and looking for opportunities. They haven't uh, missed that. They saw that opportunity or they saw something and their eyes are always open. We've just got to be a step ahead of that and not let that happen. So that's so important. Now, let, talk a, a moment about grooming. This again, yeah. it's it's a word that so many of us we you know we think about our own hair, we think about our dog, <laughs> we don't think about grooming in terms of people who are uh, really just sickly preparing young people to be a victim. I, I think most mm-hmm. of us don't line up with that word in our mind, but that is exactly what is happening. Yes, I. I, I often tell churches and the in the in the in the staff that I work with as we're developing policies, and I'd love to talk to you about that in just a moment. But I often tell them, we don't know what a groomer looks like physically. We don't. Um, they could look like anybody on the street. They could look like me, uh, because um, uh, you just can't tell um, from a person's appearance um, what's going on internally in them. Right. However, the groomer's playbook is very easily identifiable. And sadly, Mike, the reason why their playbook is that they use it over and over and over and over again is because it works. Yeah, it does. Um, they, uh, they find a way, and it starts a lot of times with simple gifts, uh, showing affection, showing um, a special favor, like, like they're their favorite, um, and then using maybe um, innocent touch, like we talked about before with lap sitting, as a gateway to more dangerous touch, um, moving in, moving closer and closer and closer until they can gain control over a minor. That's what a groomer wants to do. They want to continue to groom them with special attention, um, with favor. And then um, there's some other uh, tricks we can talk about if you want to get too deep into it. But well, um, I think but it's what important. They want, they want to they want to gain control over a minor so that they can um, they can perpetrate their crimes. That's the whole. Um, game plan. And sadly, they use the same tools. Um, and the playbook is actually very easy to spot because it's it's the same. They do the same things over and over and over again. And by the way, um, groomers just don't groom children. They groom families. They That's groom a, churches. You, you they took it exactly kids. right. That's right. They are, they, um, they are going to do whatever they can so yeah. that everybody thinks, oh, uh, Mr. J- Mr. Jim, Mrs. Jill, um, they are so nice. Why would we ever not trust them alone with our children? Right, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was uh, the eye opening thing that I learned in my time of training last week when we were do- going through all of this. Uh, I would not have put that together, but that is uh, like the the double plane approach that the groomers are are really aiming for. They're not just they're not just working on their victim. They're working on the victim's family so that they could be trusted by the family and eyes would go off of them. So just removing every potential roadblock, that's what they're after. And that's what the groomer is wanting to do. Now, again, there's a lot of people who I'm sure you get this regularly when you're doing these trainings. There's a lot of people that they'll hear this and the subject matter is so sad. It's so sick. It's so depressing that they don't want to hear it. But I'm inviting and really encouraging all of our listeners today, hang in there with us. Because even though this is not this is not fun, like talking about baseball and apple pie, uh, this is right. really, really important stuff that we've got to. And I tell you what, I've got not I mentioned having four kids. I've got 10 grandkids and wow. I am wanting these kids, these grands of ours, uh, I, I want them to have the same uh, abilities, the same freedoms in their life, uh, to not have to be scarred by some of these wicked people that are out there trying to do awful things to our kids. And so I know our listeners are in the same boat as I. You've got grandchildren, you've got kids, you've got maybe even great grandkids. So for their sake, we've got to endure 
And we've got to learn about this. And number one is watch out. Look for signs. What are some of the signs that you teach people to have about a person that might be acting in a strange way? Yeah, great question. So let's let's walk through the groomer's playbook. Um, the first thing that they're going to do is they're going to select a victim. A lot of times they're victim. And um, I, I do use the word victim on this side when I'm talking about actual people who have who have um, been subject to uh, to some to to a groomer or a, an offender's crimes. You call them um, survivors of abuse, but on this side we call them victims. So the first mm-hmm. thing they do is they select a victim. And a lot of times these are kids who are isolated. Maybe they're different. Maybe they're, um, maybe they're the children of a single parent um, who um, needs some help in this world um, just because they, maybe they're, uh, they're just kind of overrun with life. So they're going to they're gonna select someone, and then they're going to try to gain access to that person. They're going to say, uh, hey, I can, I can take Johnny to, chur- to church this week. I can pick him up, and um, I can take him home for you. I can um, – Maybe they uh, want to take them to get ice cream, something like that. So they select a victim, then they gain access, and then they want to develop trust. This is when we're talking about grooming um, communities, grooming uh, churches. They're going to develop trust with the child, but they're also going to develop trust with the family. Um, And then uh, it gets to a little bit of a rougher stage, Mike. They're going to start to desensitize the victim to sexual content and touch. Uh, when I write policies, we always make sure we talk about intoxicants, um, drugs and alcohol. We always refer to um, pornography, uh, and we also talk about um, things that are innocent touches that could turn into um, uh, not innocent touches. So they're going to desensitize that victim as a, as a way to um, start breaking rules um, that they can then hang over the child's um, hang over the child to make them do what they want them to do. And then finally, once after the – this is a new step, but after the offense happens, they're going to perform post-abuse maintenance. And this is, this is so terrible, Mike, but they're going to say things like, you can't tell anybody about this because you've done these terrible things yeah. or you're going to get me in trouble. Don't you love me? I love you. Do you want to ruin my life? Things like that. Yeah. And so – The guilt is poured um, on. You, and so when you see – yeah, when you see a, a groomer – or you see an adult um, that is trying to find ways to get uh, uh, minors in private, when you see them when they mostly have – and this doesn't always mean this way – but when they have mostly childlike uh, hobbies and things that they enjoy, that they, that they enjoy uh, here's one that a lot of people don't think about. When you see – when you discover that an adult is texting – or private messaging a child, that's private space, just like a physical private space. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, these are all signs that um, that someone, and again, we don't jump to conclusions, but these are just someone, uh, these are the kind of things that groomers would display in their life. We're up now, against a break right now. Let me interrupt and we'll, oh. we'll c- carry on uh, this most important discussion. Kurt Hale is my guest. We'll be back with Kurt in just a moment. This is Afternoons with Mike here on The Shepherd. EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat serves all your comfort needs. With over 40 years experience, EC Waters is a top trained comfort specialist, earning customers for life with integrity. No wonder EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat has earned a 4.6 or higher out of 5 rating and reviews across all major online platforms. For all your comfort needs, call 407-603-9144. Or visit ecwaters.com. Already segment three on the line with me is Kurt Hale. Kurt is with Shelter and Shield. It's a company that helps churches of all sizes to be more safe, to train their workers, uh, to keep their children safe from abuse of any form. And uh, Kurt, I know we kind of interrupted you in the last line, but uh, I, I know you've got a point that you want to make the, along that line of discussion. So go ahead. Yeah, I do, Mike. Uh, so when we're when I'm working with churches, the very first thing I do is we we write policies together. Uh, we we want to make I want to make sure that the policies work in every church's context uh, because sometimes you know it's, it's easy to to download some sample policies online. But if you can't follow them, you're just going to put them in a drawer. They're not going to do any good for you or for the kids and leaders that you work with. 
And so we 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 every other week we get together and we and we talk about the policies and uh, can we accomplish this policy? If not, what can we do to make sure we're as safe as possible? Um, and invariably, Mike, we always come to writing a policy about electronic communication with leaders and how to um, keep leaders and minors safe in a digital space. And every time we do it, um, it, it's a little bit eye-opening for the churches I work with, usually, mm-hmm. uh, because they don't have a policy right now about it. It's, and uh, I always tell them this. Great leadership can look like grooming, sadly, because you want leaders in your student ministry and your preteen ministry that if a kid tells you on Wednesday night that, hey, I've got a hard test tomorrow, you want the kind of leader who's going to reach out to them Thursday and say, hey, I prayed for you today. How'd your test go? That's great leadership. But there's a way to do it safe. And so I did want to reiterate that uh, we do look for the groomer's playbook, but um, we have to put boundaries in place and policies in place so that great leaders who truly want to love and reach out to kids in a pure way have a way to do it that's safe. And, And when a groomer pops up, their actions um, are obviously out of bounds, and, and we can see that and put a stop to it. Boy, that is so helpful to realize. And I know that this information, again, sometimes is upsetting. Uh, I, I can't think of a time that it wouldn't be really. Uh, I would wonder, you know, if, if we're really listening, if, if we didn't get upset about it. But the fact that we get upset about it, again, that is only a sign of our culture that is not a sign that we're talking about the wrong thing. We need to be talking about this. We need to have this down because of the fact that uh, I can think in, in our own churches, uh, there was a young man that left our church that was working with us on a day of a concert, and he went home that night and got involved with an online chat. It shouldn't have been there in the first place, but on a whim, you know what he did he he followed through on his plan to be surprised that the person that he thought he was going to go meet and thankfully this happened the person that he thought he was going to go meet happened to be a police officer and the FBI who were doing a sting and this person right. had no prior record no prior accusations against them legally speaking it was a one and done and this guy is in prison to this day so, yeah. and, and, and fortunately, there wasn't a, a survivor in that story. But sadly, that's why we have to talk about this, is that some kids, their uh, perpetrator was not caught before it was too late. And that's why we have to talk about this, right? That's right. And I, of course, I don't know this young man's story. Um, but the facts tell us, the stats tell us that uh, most offenders have many, many, many uh, survivors before they're ever caught. And it's funny, Mike, I talked to some churches and I That's say, right. hey, tell me about your safety plan. Because I, well, I love to, um, and I do this free for ch- any church that wants to, I love to look at their safety plan and give them feedback. Um, I do that as a way of starting a conversation. I just love to do it for free to make sure we're, we're all having the right conversation. But I'll talk to a church and I'll say, tell me about your safety plan. And they'll say, uh, we're fine. We do background checks. And I think background checks are great, but if, if an offender has many, many, many uh, victims before they're caught, then um, that tells me that we probably need to do more than a background check because mm-hmm. a lot of offenders won't show up on that. That's right. That's right. And that's why we need to have this. And then there's this uh, other thing that you had alluded in segment one of churches who actually know who the perpetrators are, but yet do nothing. And that's happened in the past, sadly. And then that person would leave that congregation and go out and do their dastardly deeds elsewhere to another church and now have more victims that are going on there. So that brings up something before we end this program today that I want to talk about and get your thoughts on, and that's mandatory reporting. We hear a lot about that. We There are questions about it. There are things that seem to constantly be changing legally with 
statute of limitations. Where are we in this country right now on those two points, mandatory reporting and statute of limitations? So I would love for any uh, church leader or or just concerned uh, person from church family to give me a call on after this after this program. It, the mandatory reporting is a state by state issue now. Mm-hmm. Most at this point say everybody is a mandatory reporter. Um, some some states have long lists of requirements on who is a mandatory reporter. But what I I so I'll look up that information for you. I'm, I'd be happy to do it. You can actually find it yourself. It's not hard to find online. Um, but um, I, I tell my churches that I work with, we have a legal and an ethical obligation to report. And so um, I believe that every church for every, um, if, if you know something, we need to be reporting internally in, the, in, our, in our church staff as well as doing our state, normally state mandated reporting, um, bring in the people who are, who are professionals in investigating who can do the right thing. Um, and so, yeah, reporting and then responding is a big part too, Mike. We have to care for um, these survivors and their families and, right. and be ready yeah. with a plan to um, make sure that we um, come around them. Uh, so, again, I, I mentioned before that my my denomination is Southern Baptist, and uh, there was a report that came out uh, about a year ago. I think it's about a year ago now. And, uh, Mike, I'll tell you the shocking thing. Um, for me, was not that abuse was happening. We, we at this point in our culture, we know it's happening, but the self-preservation that went on—that uh, was the disheartening thing. Where, where church leaders and churches were trying to protect um, themselves and the brand, quote unquote brand, so, um, instead of making sure the survivors got the help yeah. and the love and the yeah. care that yeah. they need. And um, the best way to, to figure that out is to have a plan ahead of time. So we got a report. We have to we have to do um, our due diligence there. Um, and again, you can find that information very easily, or you can just call me and I'll tell you. Um, but also, we have to respond well and make sure that we're caring for these um, beautiful um, survivors of abuse who um, God still loves and has a plan for their lives. I've heard stories of pastors who seemingly gave out more concern and care for the perpetrator than the victim. And that's a sad story, isn't it? Oh, yeah. I mean, you, can go to, you, I, you can go on YouTube and don't do this, but you can go on YouTube and watch uh, church congregations give um, someone who's making a confession standing ovation. Um, because, they, you know, it's a confusing, and I don't, I don't, I'm not casting judgment here. That's a very confusing time for a church family who loves and uh, cares for the person that's standing in front of them. Yeah. They don't know, often don't know how to react in the moment. But we have had a bad history, Mike, of protecting and coming around um, uh, people who have perpetrated crimes instead of caring well and making sure that survivors are loved with the love of Christ. And we can fix that. We're going to fix that. We have to fix it. You know, one thought, I, and we may be thinking of the same video that you're talking about that I saw, but uh, it was not a worker who was the perpetrator. It was indeed the senior pastor that yes. was standing, making a confession and getting the sympathy of the congregation when the, the survivor spoke up. And I tell you, so that if that can happen in that church, it can happen in any church. We all need to realize. One final thing I think I wanted you to jump on before our time, because we've only got a couple of minutes left, and that would be ongoing training. How important is Say someone's listening. They say, hey, I watched a video on child safety with children's ministry, you know, 10 years ago. Isn't that good? What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, it's great to keep it as, as an ongoing conversation. Because once you stop talking about it, you stop working working on it. And so keeping that training in front of people, I like it to be yearly. Some places, some churches do um, every other year, which I think is is good too. I actually love those children's ministries, Mike, that will gather together in a group huddle and pray before they start their their Sunday morning ministry. Of course, that's that not everybody can do that. It's chaos. I get that. But but and then have one reminder every Sunday of a safe practice. Just one reminder every Sunday, keep, but keeping the conversation going because yes, um, 
we are learning and we're growing in um, abuse prevention. And so um, that training is going to constantly get better and better. However, the more important piece is to keep the conversation going so that we can stay top of mind and make sure we're all thinking safe practices on an ongoing basis. Now, you work with Shelter and Shield, and you've, we've mentioned that a couple of times. Give us your, uh, the phone number and the website that people can go and contact you and get, get the, you involved with them and perhaps to do one of these conversations that you've mentioned. Oh, thank you for that. So shelterandshield.com is the best place to go, and you spell out and. So Shelter and Shield is from Psalm 119. So shelterandshield.com, and you can go online on there. You can, you can download your policies for me to look at for free. Uh, you can contact me uh, through a form right there. You can get free resources like the Pastor's Playbook, How to Respond Well to Survivors of Abuse, um, 10, th- 10 Mistakes Churches Make in Abuse Prevention for Children. I have an article on, on, on that website like that for, as well. And then you can call me at 601 249 9354. And I would love to talk to anybody, um, staff, layperson, it doesn't matter. Give me a call. Let's all get safer together. I, I, I help great leaders build safe spaces, and I love it. Oh, that's great. And I know on top of doing all of this work, you are a pastor, like you said, and you do things like speaking at camps. You know, when when it's done right, when these events that draw these kids together, I mean, we're having our final night tonight at our own church for Vacation Bible School. You know, it, it's just so great to see kids have their eyes opened at a camp or at a vacation Bible school and where everything has gone right. The staff has been ready. The kids are safe. There's nothing greater from being a leader standpoint. I know you would agree with this than to to be on that last day and everything went well and nothing happened that whole week. That is a blessing and we've just got to work. We've got to keep our eyes wide open. We can't just act like it's not going to happen but it, that's where you come in, and I'm so grateful for people like you. It's all about opening the door for young people to hear the gospel and for their lives to be transformed forever. Yeah. We ha- the spaces have to be safe for that to happen, uh, but what an honor for all of us, Mike, to be able to invest in the next generation and to see um, the lives of faith come alive right in front of us. I used to call, I was a children's test pastor for 12 years, and I used to call children's ministry the trenches where God really mm-hmm. works in young lives. And what an honor that we get privileged to be a part of that. We just have to make sure we're keeping it as safe as possible. I agree completely. Kurt Hale, safety specialist. Again, that phone number is 601 249 9354, shelterandshield.com. And uh, we thank you, Kurt, for spending this hour with us today. Thank you, Mike. It was great talking to you, and I'm glad I have a brother who cares so much about this. I tell you, I do, and I'm grateful that we've had folks like you that's opened the eyes of all the pastors that you work with. And friends, that's all of our time for today. Thank you for joining us for this hour as well. We'll see you next time right here on Afternoons with Mike. 